Good morning, good afternoon, whatever time of day it is that you are listening, folks. Welcome to another episode of Shoot the J. Thank you very much for listening. Today is the 7th of July, year of our Lord, 2020. Happy Bungie Day. Throw the sevens up. If you know what I'm talking about, good for you. If you don't, that's fine. It's not that important. Today, it's been a long time since I've made an episode. I think it's been a long time since I've made an episode specifically talking about the Milwaukee Bucks. I, I should probably look it up. It feels like it's been a while since I've really talked about the Bucks or made a video about them or done anything. And I, I was going to make a video today. I just don't really have the mental capacity to do all the editing, and it's a whole thing. I don't. I didn't really want to do it. I was like, a podcast is going to be the same. The audio would have been uploaded anyways. Whatever. It's all the same. Here we are. We're going to talk some Bucks basketball. Feels pretty on brand to do that today because my like Twitter feed has been like heavy Bucks content today, and it didn't start with this, but it was definitely thrown in there uh, with the Pistons hiring as their assistant general manager. Uh, David, is it Mintzberg? Is that how you say it? Uh, former Bucks VP of basketball strategy for the last, I believe, three years. Before that, I know he was with like the DC MLS team and then another NBA team. I don't remember which team it was. So I don't know a lot about the hire. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I do. But it kind of got us talking about the Bucks a little bit. And, you know, you guys know the relationship that I have with Bucks Twitter and even Kings Twitter. But Bucks Twitter kind of came first. So today, a few questions that I got from you guys. Um, uh, things that you guys wanted to hear me talk about. There's just a lot of like breakdown, like playoff scenarios with the Bucks, or you know what's the most important thing for that has to happen, like a best case scenario for the Bucks to actually win a championship. You know, kind of things that I feel like I've gone over before, and unfortunately, right now there's not going to be too much that I or anybody can really talk about that hasn't already been said. Um, you guys know how I feel about the Bucks, but. If, here's what I here's what I will say. We can start it off with this. If the Milwaukee Bucks are going to win a championship this season, and by my best approximation, they will, um, here's what I think. I was thinking about this earlier. I feel like the roster top to bottom, with the exceptions of Chris and Giannis, I think peak defensive effort is going to be valued more and of a higher importance this year than it will than it will be with any offensive performance. And what I mean by that is is pretty much exactly what I mean. It's going to be more important for Dante DiVincenzo and Eric Bledsoe. Maybe like I don't want to say with the exclusion of Chris and Giannis, but for the most part, you have guys that you know are going to deliver pretty much no matter what. And then you have these outliers where it's like you have a guy like Dante DiVincenzo where sometimes he's just going to light it up on the offensive end, like in the second quarter of the December game uh, against the Celtics where he gave Marcus Smart buckets, a game that I reference anytime I talk about the Bucs, anytime I talk about Dante, this comes up. This instant comes up. One of the best, one of the NBA's best on-ball defenders and Dante DiVincenzo treated him like he was nothing and it was amazing. But you don't necessarily need that from him in order to win a game. Like sometimes he does need to step up. Yeah. But you don't need him for 48 minutes lights out on offense where he's important, where he's valued the highest is away from the ball and on the defensive end of the floor. So that's kind of all that I mean. And you have a guy like Brooke Lopez where you do need him on both ends of the floor. You have a guy like Eric Bledsoe where you do need him to be able to facilitate and actually get to the basket. But I think ultimately, well, okay, I guess maybe he's, see, this is why sometimes I just don't take notes and I just kind of let myself talk because I'm going to talk myself into these like alternate theories. If you put it this way, 
you don't obviously I'm not saying, you know, exclusively rely on Giannis and Chris throughout the playoffs on the offensive end. That's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is at the end of the day, they're probably going to be there. But if you come up against uh, a team like the Sixers, and I, I do kind of want to say the Raptors, but they don't have Kawhi this year to stop Giannis, so it's kind of like whatever. Um, so we'll just use maybe the Sixers as an example. You could probably throw the Heat in there as well because I think I've been on record before saying I think the the, the Heat are a bigger threat to the Bucks in the playoffs than anybody else is in the East. And I don't know if I want to reel that in yet because I was pretty adamant about that for a long time. And I, I don't know if I still believe it. I know I don't not believe it. I think I'm just going to kind of have to see what goes on as soon as the season starts. Um, so, anyways, if you come up against a team like the Heat and you have a defender like Jimmy and Bam, like they can double and stop Giannis and Chris. Not relatively easy, but easier than most teams would be able to. And it's going to be the same thing with the Sixers, where if Ben Simmons is healthy and for all intents and purposes, I believe that we have been led to believe that he is going to be back. Like Ben Simmons will be back. No pun intended. His back is healed. Um, and then you have Embiid as well. And I know I, I the relationship with Bucks Twitter and Embiid is like, you guys hate him. And I know that. I get that. Most people do. Uh, but he's a good defender. And Ben Simmons is, I'd say, a great defender. Uh, so th- you run into those issues. And when you get into those games where, no, they're not going to be stopping Giannis or Chris, but mainly Giannis, on every single possession, right? But you're still going to have to rely on... Uh, on your perimeter players. And that's where sort of like Wesley Matthews comes into play. That's where guys like Pat Connaughton, who I know Dante has kind of stolen minutes from Pat Connaughton, which is more of an attestment to how good Dante has been rather than how bad Pat has been. I think we'd all be in agreement there. So with Dante, again, you're sort of relying him on him, not necessarily as a failsafe, because I feel like the Bucks have a few of those where it's like if you can't get Giannis going, which is you'll be hard-pressed to find a scenario where the Bucks can't get Giannis going or he can't get himself going. Uh, and they, you know, Chris, because I know like one of the biggest things with Chris Middleton with Bucks fans is the people who don't understand basketball and the people who don't watch the Bucks but are Bucks fans. Uh, they always say that Chris is this highly inconsistent, non-all-star, inefficient player. And while admittedly, yeah, he's going to have these, you know, outlying nights where he's not all that great. Give me a superstar who's – well, okay, I'm sorry. Chris Middleton's not a superstar. But give me a player of his caliber who doesn't have those outlying nights. Um, I think we're all on the same page that if you don't think Chris Middleton – like there was a there was a legitimate tweet that somebody sent me where somebody said that Chris Middleton is a non-all-star. I'm like, yeah, he's definitely not been there twice. Um, right. Chris Middleton's a two-time all-star. See, this is why I should probably do a little bit of research because then I would be able to confidently say things like that. Pretty sure. Yeah, he, well, okay, yeah, he is because Giannis picked him last year with his first pick, right, when they got into the role players, and then he was definitely – I'm I'm considering – whatever. So then you have a player like Brooke Lopez who I think he – you can kind of mesh him in with, like, players who on the Bucks who need to be great on both ends of the floor. And, yes, obviously – you need everybody to be, but it's going to be more important for some rather than others. And I'm going to be really interested to see, obviously, one of the better rim protectors uh, in the game. And I know that he, so a year ago, and I don't remember what the metric was. I know that there was a metric that kind of put into perspective how good Brooke was. I believe it was something along the lines of like, no NBA player over seven feet had hit seven feet tall had ever hit as many three-pointers in a single season as Brooke Lopez did. 
I believe it was him. I believe that was the metric. If somebody knows and I'm wrong, please tell me. Uh, I think it, I think that's what it was though. And this year he's like not great. Like he had kind of a not great year from the three point line, and it led a lot of people to believe that he wasn't a three point shooter. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I, well, first I'm listen. I love Brook Lopez. You love Brook Lopez. I gotta be honest. I was being a little bit nice. He was terrible from three this year because I'm pretty sure in my head I was like he shot like 36 percent. Like no, I'm pretty sure that's what he did last year. This year wasn't like 29 percent. Brook Lopez was bad from three this year. But anyways, the point I was trying to make was people were kind of trying to pass it off as like this guy who can't stretch the floor, guy who can't space, and it's like no, he definitely can. He's sort of revolutionized his game or evolutionized, I guess. And he's sort of a different player than he was in years prior. Um, Brooke Lopez is a catalyst uh, in whatever success the Bucks have. His success is heavily contingent. Well, not heavily contingent, but it is a small contingency piece of the Bucks' success. And I... Listen. I think... And I should also say this is an exclusive to the Bucks because this is going to be the case for not all 22 teams, but like I'd say maybe 12 of the teams going into Orlando, those first few games are going to be so interesting to see, like, did they decide to change anything up? Like, are they taking a different approach to how they're playing the game? Because that's something that you guys were asking me was, like, what adjustments do you think Coach Bud's going to make? Like, what do you think they're going to do differently down the stretch? And to that, in the most respectful way possible, why would they change anything at all? A team who won 60 games last year, a team who would have won 60 games this year, well, I guess technically they still can, uh, a team that was once on pace to win 70 uh, before absolutely blowing it. They lost through four out of five, four out of five to end the year. I think it was they lost to the Heat. They lost. There was the Laker game where everyone was like, see, the Lakers are the best team on the planet. Oh, my gosh. And it's like, nope, it's still the Bucks. That's okay. It's really not a great game. It's a really frustrating game to watch. And they had this stretch where they were just really bad defensively, which was weird because that was kind of their staple. They lost to the Heat, the Lakers. They lost to Phoenix and Denver. And I know it was kind of a not great stretch because I think it was the Lakers through the Nuggets. They played three games in four days, I believe. I don't remember if it was L.A. Phoenix was on a back-to-back or if it was Phoenix-Denver on a back-to-back. But one of those was a back-to-back, and they had a day... Uh, a layoff day in between there somewhere, but they played three games in four days and they were terrible defensively. Then the hiatus went into effect. I think even was it was it the Nuggets game where Kyle Korver was a leading scorer? He had like twenty four, I think. So it was just this really weird time. So now we go into Orlando, and no, I don't think that anything should be changed at all. But it is going to be really interesting because they open against Boston. They then go. They they play Houston. They play Brooklyn, Miami, Dallas, Toronto, Washington, Memphis. Let's just go off the top of our heads. How many guaranteed wins are there? Brooklyn, one. Washington, two. Memphis, three. And then other than that, and yes, you can say like, well, they won 53 games. Yeah, but if you play a team like Houston, for example, this perimeter-reliant team, um, I guess I just worry a little bit that – and I well, okay, I can't say that I worry that the Bucks are going to completely – crap out on the on the three-point line like they have and i'd say like eight of their 12 losses maybe seven of them were because they were just like mm, three-point line i don't want to guard that this paint though yeah we got that like a hundred percent like james harden you're not going to get in here but you can do your contested step back uh 45 footers if you'd like so no i don't really i, I wouldn't imagine there's going to be a change in approach i think that would be a little bit uh unnecessary
I mean, look, you have I I'm still a little bit reluctant to crown Giannis. Like, okay, I know one of the biggest moments of the season for Bucks fans was in Pfizer form earlier this year, and I believe it was December when Giannis did whatever it is that he did, and he's walking back to the bench. He's doing the thing where he's put, you know he's putting the crown on his head. He's, yeah, like that was awesome. Admittedly, like my testosterone was through the roof. It was awesome, right? I'm still a little bit reluctant to say that he's the best player on the planet, but he's like number two, 100%. My passion for LeBron and his legacy is currently higher than it is for Giannis, and it's not like any disrespect to Giannis because as soon as LeBron hits like a little bit of a decline, it's over, and he's number two and Giannis is number one. If you put Giannis as number one, I don't think you're wrong. I think you're right. It's just a personal thing where I just have that, love for LeBron that I just can't quite let go of yet. Um, you have Giannis and you have Chris Middleton, who by the approximation of most is probably the best sidekick in basketball. I'm sorry. He's the second best sidekick in basketball. Cause I think people would still probably take clay. So I guess maybe the closest thing to clay Thompson that we have in the NBA is Chris Middleton. Um, and I, I think it's just really frustrating to me. It's really disingenuous when it's okay if you won't acknowledge the Bucks as the best team in basketball. I think there are legitimate reasons why people would put the Lakers above them. I think there are legitimate reasons why people would even – I don't know about the Clippers, but Joey Lynn I, – that's his last name, right? Joey, I'm so sorry. Uh, Big-time Clipper fan on Twitter – he always has this really good Clipper propaganda that I'm like, ah, you are saying smart things and they're kind of making sense to me. But then I kind of reel myself back in, come back down to earth a little bit. I'm like, no, 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 no. Mike Budenholzer, the Milwaukee Bucks, they still exist. They're still there. Sealed and signed, she's not my lover like Billie Jean, the kid is mine. The Milwaukee Bucks are going to the NBA Finals and they're going to win. It's okay if you don't think they're the number one team on the planet. But the fact that so many people continue to write them off as the the way that people look at the Milwaukee Bucks right now, this is the, the best and most recent analogy that I can make that I think people will kind of understand and remember what I'm talking about. It feels like this year and last year, where admittedly it made more sense, people view the Milwaukee Bucks as that Atlanta Hawks team of the mid-2010s, 2014-2015, when they won 60 and Mike Budenholzer was actually their coach, and they had four All-Stars that year. Like, Jeff Teague made an All-Star game. No disrespect to Jeff Teague, but, like, you get what I'm saying. Where, cool, the Hawks got the number one seed. It's not going to matter as soon as they come up against LeBron, and what happened? It didn't matter as soon as they came up against LeBron. Like, it was over before it started, and nobody would give them the credit they deserved because they hadn't proved it in any way, shape, or form. Now, I think the reason that people don't credit the Bucks, and I can't say this is why they don't credit Chris Middleton, because Chris Middleton has proven that he's a flat-out hooper, um, is because right now, like, like it or not, the Bucks haven't given us a reason to believe in them. Unless you're a diehard Bucks fan, and like I believe in them, I'm not saying I subscribe to this ideology, but you win 60 last year. Cool. You win, what, 60 and 22. Awesome. You had a great year. You had the MVP. You had two All-Stars. You had one of the best seven-footers, one of the best rim protectors in basketball. Talking about Brooke, obviously. And 
you get into the playoffs and everyone kind of falls apart a little bit. Dante, who the expectations for him last year were nowhere near what they are right now, but Dante just kind of fell out. The Bucks fold in the playoffs, and we just kind of look at them as this team that's like, yeah, okay. Now, at least they did lose to the eventual champions, right? Like, all right. If any, if nothing else, it's always good to lose to the team that is considered the best that season. And yeah, you can argue that the Warriors were actually better had they been healthy. But you get what I'm saying, right? You lose to the eventual a champion, you can't necessarily be all that mad about it. Um, so as we go into Orlando, as we head into this season where it, it was heading towards, towards such a great apex. And then it kind of got taken away. I say kind of. It just got taken away from us. I'm really curious to see if that same energy and that same feeling of we're heading towards one of the more entertaining NBA finals in recent memory with this Bucks team and presumably this Lakers team, but either team out of LA. Maybe it's going to be Houston, but more than likely either team from Los Angeles. Because right now, I obviously, that's I feel like most people believe that that's probably what it's going to be, right? And whether or not you want to admit it, the Bucks do have a lot that they have to prove. And Dante has to show that he can step up. Bledsoe has to show that in the postseason, like he's going to be able to be that guy for the Bucks. George Hill is going to have to do the same. And I just worry that I don't know if the if teams are going to be able to figure out the Bucks offensively. I know defensively, I, I don't. Well, that's actually a good question. Is where are the Bucks more likely to bleed? Um, is it on the offensive end or the defensive end? I would say probably on the offensive end because defensively they're so good with their switches and they're so good at every like I can't even I'm not even going to I'm just going to generalize it. They are so good at everything defensively. I mean, what was their streak of holding opponents under 100 points? I, I off the top of my head it was some absurd number. Was it like seventy games? Maybe that's way too extreme. But the Bucks held teams under hundred points for however many games, right? So that's why until you face one of the juggernauts in the West, I, I don't know that there's really gonna be too much trouble defensively for the Bucks, unless you have again like a, a Christmas Day game like you had against the Sixers where they just have like a historically good performance from uh the three point line. That it's like you just kind of, but they're not going to do that for four games. You know what I mean? Like they might have one or two, but even the Cavs in the year, uh, I think it was LeBron and Kyrie's last year together in Cleveland, they were about to get swept for Kevin Durant's first championship, and it was game four. And at that point, you're just kind of like, just get it over with. Like you just end the series. And the Cavs have like historically one of the best shooting performances in the history of basketball. Um, they shot like 75% from the field and like 90% from three for that game. Uh, so, yeah, like teams can have those games. But for four games against this Bucks team, no. I think it's way more likely that a team finds out how to trap and stop Giannis at the rim. Uh, or they're just going to keep daring him to shoot threes, which, I mean, if it's the Lakers game in December, that doesn't work when he hit five of them. Because um, it's something that's in his bag still, but it's not refined. So, if I mean, obviously, no matter who it is, are you taking a shot uh, at the rim or are you taking it from the perimeter? Like, what would you rather live with? You're going to live, especially when it's Giannis, with him taking that shot at the perimeter. So if you're forcing him into that, that's, I guess, what would worry me. And that's in those moments where you need those other key pieces to step up. So at this point, I guess I'm just kind of regurgitating what I said like 20 minutes ago. 
and ultimately I'm I'm not going to be worried about them because the one thing that I've consistently said about this team uh for the last year was the Bucks are so good at playing their own game, at playing Milwaukee Bucks basketball. And that kind of entails baiting other teams into playing at your pace where you're dictating the pace of the game because you have all the control and you have you're more often than not going to be more powerful uh, than the other team you're usually going to be able to impose your will which means you dictate the pace and as a Pistons fan I know this pretty well as soon as somebody starts playing at your pace it's over for you and that's why even when the Kings visited Pfizer for him uh what in like early march late february i think it was late february uh that's exactly what happened and another factor was like De'Aaron fox just didn't have any mobility because he was injured dealing with like 60 injuries at the time i think it was actually like four but still he was banged up so his mobility was kind of weird but as soon as the bucks would try to play at the bucks pace it was over and nine times out of ten that's what's going to kill your team a team that if you you can't let them shoot really from anywhere for the most part, right? Because they're gonna a guy like Bledsoe, a guy like George Hill, they're gonna get to the rim and they're gonna draw contact. They can get an and one on you. A lot of guys on the team can do that, but just talking about point guards, uh, they can bury you from the perimeter. They're gonna destroy you from from mid range defensively. They're gonna make you bleed. They're gonna make you. They're they're gonna force passes that you don't want to make. Um, you're not gonna get in the paint. And as somebody who watched Andre Drummond try his best for games one and two last year, uh, yeah. Now, I, I don't really know how many centers there are like Andre. There's some definitely more athletic centers that the Bucks are going to have to face up against this year. So it'll be really interesting. And again, that's just when it comes down to Brooke Lopez, I guess. If you like this episode, it was just me kind of saying the same, like three things over and over, just kind of worded a little bit differently. But if you made it this far, genuinely, folks, from the bottom of my heart, thank you very, very much for listening. Felt good to talk about the Bucks again. I will reach out to Snell season uh, before the season starts, maybe before the playoffs, so that way we can talk about Bucks basketball. I've been meaning to talk to him about that for a while because we, we said it something like four months ago, five months ago. I don't even know if he remembers. I will have Snell season on the show. If you made it this far, folks, thank you very, very much from the bottom of my heart. I will catch you guys in the next one.